You're listening to Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes Wednesdays and Saturdays. Follow Hockey to Heroin on Twitter. That's at Hockey, the number two heroin for updates and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Brady Leavitt, like any other Canadian kid, his dream was to play in the National Hockey League. Success came easily to Leopold as he began to turn heads in the junior leagues. Pass for Long, he's got Leopold with him. Long walks in, Sanders, goal! Leopold's a right-hand shot, rotates, and then sends it along. Back to Leopold, And a boy, Brady! And here we go, right off the bat, a fight ensues. And it's Leavold and Kerr, and they're both getting in shots. Now Leavold throwing right after right and just connecting like crazy. Once I met heroin, I mean, it was just, that became my new passion. What's the reason that young people who are athletes get addicted to heroin? They injure themselves, and they're more likely to be prescribed an opioid. And once addicted, many are going to switch over to heroin because it's much more cost-effective. And the effects that they produce in the brain are indistinguishable. When we talk about painkillers, we're essentially talking about heroin pills. Uh, welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. Uh, this is episode number 19, guys, uh, number two on the video podcast. The first one, uh, of course, was with uh, Theron Fleury. Uh, you could see my guest here. This is uh, former NHL defenseman Andy Sutton. What a career he had. Uh, we're going to talk to him in a second. Uh, but guys, of course, this episode is going to be available Saturday morning. Uh, on the Hockey Podcast Network, guys. They have uh, podcasts for every single NHL team, 31 different podcasts, uh, including uh, uh, Tales with TR, Terry Ryan's podcast. Uh, I believe it hasn't been announced yet, but we're going to have somebody else coming on board, uh, a former uh, pro hockey player as well. So that's going to be a a nice little surprise. We're going to be announcing that in a week. So that's exciting. Uh, Guys, of course, this episode is proudly brought to you again by Team Issued Limited. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger, a community for all striving towards the same goal. Guys, check it out, teamissue.ca. Use promo code CODRAG15. Look at this, I got all sorts of Team Issued gear, guys. This is a WHL alumni, Jesse Paradise. I played with him in Kelowna, his company. We got all sorts of hats. They do custom gear too. We did a giveaway the other day. Me and Taylor did a live broadcast stream. They got girls clothes, guys clothes. This is one of my girlfriend's sweaters she got, guys. They make pants like this. They're very similar to like a Lululemon uh, style pant. Uh, They got all sorts of stuff, guys. So check that out. We're going to be doing contests every single week. Uh, You can sign up, walkytoheroin.com. Right on the main page, uh, there is uh, a, a form you can fill out, guys. Um, once again, guys, I'm sitting in the Matthew Lashinsky studio. I'm going to say it every single podcast. Uh, Matthew Lashinsky, born in 1987. He passed away in 2017. He was a second-round draft pick by the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Played for them. Uh, but he suffered with mental health and addiction, much like myself. Uh, and unf- unfortunately, he lost his battle with addiction in 2017. And when I heard his story, uh, I decided to recreate this studio in his honor. 
Uh, it's been put on hold a little bit. Uh, actually, actually, Lashinsky's uh, buddy who told me the story, Matthew Thompson, uh, to who told me the story. He's coming up May 30th. Uh, we're gonna frame in. We're gonna make it like three times the size. Um, we're gonna make it really nice, guys. Uh, I also got some sad news uh, a couple days ago. Um, a guy that I played with uh, in the Tampa Bay Lightning organization, Mitch Fadden, uh, he also passed away in 2017. And I've been so fucked up that I didn't even know. Uh, I played on a line with this guy with Steve Stamkos uh, in the Lightning's process. We lived together in Norfolk in the American League. Um, you know, we partied hard together. I knew he had his struggles, uh, but for the last two months, I've been trying to call him. Uh, didn't have his number, messaging him on Facebook, um, you know, and I did this article on with Sportsnet and some of these stories, you know, I was with him and I said to the writer that I can't talk about it because I got to talk to him first. And I've been trying to reach him. Um, and I found out that he, he died of an overdose in 2017. So um, I've been kind of shook up the last couple of days, guys. Uh, but I'm going to talk to his brother, Matt Fadden here in a couple of days. Um, it possibly even even later on this afternoon. So uh, you know, you know, talk to him and uh, see what happened. And uh, you know, just really sad news to hear that Mitch passed away, and uh, just another one gone too soon, guys. And uh, that leads me into the last thing I want to say. Uh, I've been talking about it on Facebook. Uh, there's a bunch of us: Jesse Paradise, the owner of Team Issued, uh, myself, Michael Hengen, my best friend, WHL alumni, um, my dad, Theron Flurry. Um, and a few other people, medical health professionals, we're gonna be hosting a Zoom meeting probably in about a week. Uh, we're starting a new foundation called the Puck Support Foundation uh, to help hockey players that maybe don't have uh, help from the NHLPA, um, guys that didn't have long lengthy NHL careers that don't have the support uh, that either, you know, are suffering from, you know, post-concussion syndrome, addiction, um, maybe they're just struggling to find their way in the real world, uh, guys. So. Um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna build a team and we're just gonna try to uh, help uh, support these guys that are maybe uh, struggling after uh, hanging the skates up because uh, I know it was hard for me. So um, more information will be on my website, hockeytoheroin.com. Um, please, wherever you're listening to, subscribe. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at hockey to heroin and of course Facebook and Instagram. Um, other than that, we're gonna get right into this episode. This is episode 19 and I'm really, uh, really uh, honored and what a privilege to have this guy. Uh, I followed his career closely growing up in Vancouver. Um, you know, just the way he played. Uh, I actually didn't know that he was a forward up until this morning uh, or yesterday morning when I was reading up about him. Um, but you guys can see him. That's Andy Sutton there. This guy played in the NHL for 13 years, guys. Um, he wasn't drafted. Um, I want to talk to him about that. And I'm kind of wondering what, you know, what set him apart? Why was he able to find that success uh, for so long in the NHL? Because uh, you look at guys that get drafted, uh, some even first rounders, second rounders, uh, they may not even get a sniff. They may even play a couple games and uh, they never even uh, last that long. And uh, just kind of curious as to his journey. I knew he grew up in London, Ontario. Uh, Played in the Greater London Hockey Association for the London Sabres AAA program. Shout out to them. I uh, moved to Kingston uh, at the age of 14. Played uh, Junior B in the Ganoki on is that Ganoki Ontario Sutsi or what? 
that how you say that? Gananoque, one of the great little towns in Ontario for sure. Gananoque, all right. Well, yeah, I'm in Muskoka, so I don't know where that is close to me. But uh, from from there, you went and you played with uh, the St. Mike's and uh, you were able to get a full ride scholarship to Michigan Tech um, where you uh, studied environmental engineering. And uh, six weeks before you uh, graduated, you actually signed with San Jose. I want to talk to you about that. But uh, welcome, uh, Andy Sutton. Uh, he's also doing some amazing things outside of hockey. And that's maybe uh, the reason, Andy, why I wanted to have you on more than anything is because so many guys struggle uh, to find their way outside of hockey, whether they play in the NHL, whether it's junior or whatever, through this little outlet that I started just a couple months ago, Andy. Um, it's been very prevalent to me. So when I saw there was uh, an article, uh, guys, yesterday or a couple days ago, I think I saw it two days ago, um, that was written just about the success that Andy's found outside of hockey with the various companies that he's uh, got. Uh, more, more importantly, the one that I want to bring up is for Bureau Hockey, if I'm saying that right, because I wish I was 15, 16 years old again, Andy. This this equipment line you have is unbelievable. So I just, I'm going to let you talk here. I want to say thank you for uh, joining the Hockey to Heroin family, obviously for coming on. Uh, what a pleasure, but thank you so much for doing this. There's so much going on. Um, yeah, thanks so much. No, it's it's great to be here. Nice to connect with you. I, I, like, the, uh, I like the show a lot. You're, you're doing a great thing here. Well, no, I appreciate that. And like I said, I say it all the time. It was a real shot in the dark and I wasn't sure the kind of response I was going to get because I mean, I was so lost for the last few years. I was behind bars and um, hadn't, you know, I just lost my identity completely. I just forgotten that I even played hockey and I uh, was able to throw my skates on a few months ago. And uh, I just knew that I needed to connect some way. And I, with the COVID-19, I knew that I couldn't get to the rank. I couldn't do anything. Um, and this idea came uh, and it's been, I've been very lucky um, to get some of the people on like yourself, um, you know, and I just feel very fortunate. So thank you. But um, Andy, I want to talk to you a little bit about your hockey career because um, you know, you were a beast on the back end, man. Like uh, I'll tell you a funny story. So my name is Brady Leopold. You, you wouldn't believe how many times people call me Jordan Leopold. And I was reading, you absolutely crushed this guy. And I don't like to bring up hard and like things like this, but like I was watching some of your highlight packs and holy shit, man, like you're a big guy. eh? And uh, so you were actually a forward. Um, Let's talk about that. Um, What was the transition like to defense? Like, uh, and obviously you're glad that you made that choice. Yeah, it was, um, it started early for me. I, when I first started playing, I was a defenseman and I was always big and I scored a lot of points like as a younger player. So like at I think 10 or 11 years old, they decided to switch me to forward thinking it would be better for the team. And I wish in hindsight I hadn't done it. So I, I ended up playing forward all the way through my sophomore year at Tech. So I got a, I got a scholarship to Michigan Tech as a forward. Um, and then we had the, the NHL had a lockout in 94, 95, and we had Randy McKay and a couple of other guys, uh, come and skate with us. And Pierre Paget, the, the famous coach came and, and spent two weeks with our team and sort of like did a review on every player. And so Bob Mancini, my coach at the time called me up after Pierre had left. And this is like part way into the sophomore season. And he said, do you want to hear what Pierre had to say about you? And I said, yeah, sure. Of course. He said, all he wrote next to your name was try Sutton at the fence. He said, so he looked at me and said, what do you think? I said, 
And I said, let's go for it. Let's do it. So I, I, I went back on, on the point, uh, <laughs> took me a, a little while to get comfortable. You know, I was definitely exposed early on and made lots of mistakes and that continued for a while, quite honestly, like I, um, you know, I, I, it was a rough, rough transition. And then my senior year, everything just kind of aligned, as you mentioned, I was never drafted. So I ended up winning defensive player of the year and I had 14 NHL teams try to sign me the day after I finished my last game and wow. ended up signing with the Sharks, as you'd mentioned, and, and, and left straight away and, and went in and got to skate um, with the team through playoffs. And I stuck around to have a surgery that year. I had a shoulder, I had a shoulder issue. I had, I had 14 surgeries over my 16 year career. So, I mean, I was, I was bang, as banged up as anybody else. Um, so then I get into San Jose and, you know, going into my first training camp, I, I make the team, but at the time, and you talk about uh, substance abuse for starters has touched my life in so many ways across the board. It really has like personally and lost my sister a couple of years ago. So it's, it's, uh, it's, mm-hmm. hits home for me. And, um, but I, that, that first season, Brant Myers got, um, he got t- he tested positive for for some banned substance, and he was in the program. So he was our tough guy in San Jose. I mean, I came out of college hockey, and I had a couple scraps in preseason that went pretty well. And all of a sudden, they've got me, you know, fighting Matt Johnson and Stu Grimson <laughs> and Scott Parker oh, every night. Like, yeah. so I started my NHL career like that, which was really tough to shake for a while. You know, I really wasn't my probably base nature to be that type of player, but you'd you know you 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 know very well you do you do what you gotta do to try to to try to make it and then to try to stick around so it was uh an evolution i ended up playing a bit of forward there in san jose and then uh same thing when i when i got traded to minnesota they tried to turn me back into a forward there um and then believe it or not i went in uh after mike ramsey told me i'd never be a defenseman in the nhl and i told him i'd like to you know take a crack at defense he said you'll never be a defenseman in this league I said, well, that's fine. I'm glad you feel that way. At least I know where, where we stand. So I went into the GM at the time, Doug Risebrough, and told, asked him if I could be traded. And uh, he traded me to Atlanta seven days later, which was incredibly gracious of him. And started really my transition to full-time defense um, in the NHL. And it was the best thing I ever did. You know, I ended up, again, ended up playing 12 or 13 more years after that. So it was, uh, it was really uh, the greatest thing I ever did. And I, I feel, uh, feel pretty happy about it. No, for sure. And, I, you know, I was – what an opportunity coming out of college to have that many teams wanting to sign you because that's not always the case. And I've talked about it on a few of my podcasts because uh, a lot of the guys that I've talked to have been uh, major junior guys. And I know you grew up in Ontario. Um, You know, I wasn't drafted in the Western league draft. Um, You weren't drafted in the OHL draft, obviously. Right. Were you? No, I never got drafted uh, anywhere. I was always a little late to the party. Yeah. So were you like growing up, uh, did you have your sights on playing in the OHL? Um, and I mean, obviously going the NCAA route really panned out for you. And I think looking back now, um, you know, I had offers to go to school as well. And that I think that for a lot of guys, if you're not that high, high end guy, like I never was, um, getting those few extra years in school, do you think that was really beneficial to you? Because I often wonder what it would have been like if I would have went to school. I'm not saying that it would have changed my career, but I just see that, uh, you know, these guys, you know, they get to play junior and then they get these uh, couple extra years to develop. And uh, I just, you look at the numbers nowadays with the numbers of uh, guys that uh, are in the NHL uh, that came through the college route have skyrocketed in the last decade. So do you think that was... Yeah, uh, I mean, it's... I. I think it's a 
I think it's a great place to go, especially if you you've got some um, you know you've got some things to learn still. And I I think go, going in you know as a as a 16 year old or 17 year old into junior hockey is is really challenging. You're playing against you know really men. I mean it's a, it's a different game. So you know giving it a, giving it a little more time and then getting in a in a program like a university program where you know you've got four years to sort of figure out what you're doing and also you know you know coincide with hopefully getting a good education and kind of keeping that that rounded and balanced profile because that's the thing that I think I feel most thankful for is being able to have always had something else to fall back on to so I always you know trusted my intellect and and um, you know my ability to maybe do other things so I think as much as I loved playing I always I think in my mind going back all the way even to, to to college years I think I always wanted to you know hedge hedge my hedge my investment and hedge my bets and make sure that I that I had that I had some options whenever the career was going to end and honestly like my if you'd asked me my junior year at school if, if I was going to play pro hockey I probably would have would have told you it's probably not going to happen I mean just sometimes sometimes in life you know the stars align and things go the right way and I think that's really what happened that senior season well, obviously, I mean, not too many guys can say uh, that they played in the NHL, let alone for as long as you did. I know that you struggled a lot with injuries. You mentioned that you had 13, 14 surgeries. That's that's crazy. Um, it comes with the territory, the way that you played. You blocked a ton of shots, um, something that most guys don't do. Uh, what do you think set yourself apart Um you know, from other guys that may have uh, been drafted, you know, like, cause you know what it's like going into training camps as an undrafted guy. Um, you maybe feel like these guys um, are going to get a, a, maybe a quicker, more fair shake, uh, whether that's the case or not. I knew that's how I was feeling. Um, but especially as a D man, you have even less spots available. So what was that like? You know, it was it was definitely challenging. I was up for the challenge. I mean, I was I was full of definitely full of piss and vinegar, and and wanted to wanted to make it. Um, so I th I think the thing that probably over the course of my career, if I look back now, that that was probably the thing I did best was was being able to to adapt. I think I had to be a lot of different players a lot of different times in my career. And, and and keeping that all in perspective and trying to always remember you're on a team and find your place the right way. Um, and then really like, you know, in anything in life, I think we've got to optimize our, our opportunities. And, and when, when I had some opportunities to advance my ice time or my position, I, you know, I, a lot of times I was able to succeed in that. So that, that sort of started to build confidence and become, you know, part of the fabric of, of my name in the game. And then I think once that starts to happen, you kind of start to carve out an identity in the game. And then I think you, you know, you might fit in with some teams who are looking for something similar. And I think for a, you know, for a bigger guy, I think I always skated pretty well. And I think I was, I always tried to be hard to play against and I always tried to, you know, get in the way a lot with, with my body for, you know, shots or, or, or stopping people from getting near the net. So I kind of just tried to take a lot of pride in that, really make, try to make a good first pass and get up ice and try to contribute however I could, you know, on the offensive side of things. Those little things, I mean, you know, are so crucial as a defenseman. And I don't think a lot of people really realize, um, even as a player, uh, I didn't realize uh, how important those little things. And I'll tell you a quick story. Um, so uh, when I was 19, no, I was 20, 
uh, just before I got traded in Swift Current. It was exhibition season, and we were playing in Moose Jaw. And I remember, because uh, all the young guys were playing, whatever, and I'm 20, and I'm just, whatever, I was in a, going through a lot of shit and kind of in a bad way that game. And I just remember ripping on the young guys a little bit. So then we went to Brandon the next night to play the Wheat Kings, and uh, before the game, Dean Chanel comes in to read the starting lineup or whatever, and he fucking starts me on defense. And he looks at me, he's like, now you're going to find out that defense is the hardest fucking position in hockey because he was a D-man in the NHL, right? So I remember same thing how you said you got exposed. I think I was minus two on the first shift, trying to pinch, whatever. Um, but people don't realize um, how important those little things are, the first pass, just getting in the way. Um, and for people that are listening, uh, guys can make a career out of that. Like you said, taking pride in those things that a lot of guys won't want to do. Um, and now with the way the games are going and the way the coaches coach, if you don't do these things, you probably won't be around now anyways. But I mean, you know, that first pass out of the zone, I I've watched you play lots and, um, you know, those little things may seem easy, uh, watching, but you know, as a, as a forward on the wall, getting that first pass, uh, getting a nice crisp tape, you know, if a guy can see a D-man not pinching on you, those little things go a long, long way. Um, so, you know, I think for anybody listening, uh, especially, I mean, as a defenseman, but I look as a, I was a forward and I know I never took any pride in my game defensively and I wish I would have, right. Um, looking back. So I think, you know, if anyone's listening, uh, listen to what Andy's saying. And, uh, you know, like you said, you weren't drafted, but, you know, you had such an amazing career. Um, how much of your education, because I know we're going to talk about what you're doing now, and I'm really excited about that. Um, but how much of your education do you think you use now um, outside of hockey? And how is the transition leaving the game? Well, it's, um, you know, it, it's, I don't think necessarily the education, the education itself, the things that I learned helped. I think what I think what school teaches you is how to think critically. I think I I think that's probably what happens more often than not with it. And I think I, I took that with me. That being said, you know, transition out wasn't easy for me either. You know, I've tripped and fallen on a lot of stuff and and gone through some some really tough times on a few things. And um, you know, it's, it's, uh, perseverance is everything. And, you know, I've, I've always had a lot of energy and, and, uh, ability to sort of, you know, take it on the chin and keep going. And I've had to do that a lot, you know, and then that really it's, it's, it's only, you know, more recently, I would say the last, the last three or so years that things have been flowing, um, for me, I think before that I was forcing things a lot. And I think what happens a lot with athletes, we're so used to being judged on like a shift by shift basis, right? Like it's so, it's so uh, microscopic and I don't think athletes pan out enough in general in life. Um, And I, so I think when we leave the game, we're so used to this, like, you know, stuff that happens right in front of us and we're, we're gauged on shifts, we're gauged on game on periods on games. And then we almost don't even get enough time to come out of that because it's always the next practice that you got stuff to work on. It's always the next game that that's coming that you're, that you're hyper-focused on. And I think a lot of what happens is, and why I think a lot of us struggle with substance and, and, and other, and other identity related crisis when we leave the game is because we've never really developed our ego outside of, the athlete that we're known for to ourselves so we don't broaden our own perspectives and our own minds to be able to to know that there's life after hockey like i'll ask you how many hours have you wasted 
on the bus or, or between games, just laying around, like watching TV or, do, or surfing the internet for nothing. Like, it's just, it, it, we should have been, like, players should be doing things. We should be re- reading books. We should be learning about things. We should be positioning ourselves for life after hockey because not very many people are, are that fortunate to play for a really long time. And usually our, our careers are short and most of them don't end up in the NHL. Most people's don't end up in the NHL. I think I read the other day, it's like one one thousandth of a percent of hockey players worldwide have a career in the NHL. I mean, it's just like, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's such a tough place to live in your mind because you're almost setting yourself up for failure. And then, you know, you've got to have this identity outside of hockey because it is going to end one day for, for all of us. And there's a whole life left to live, even if you're lucky enough to play as long as Chara. I mean, you're going to be in your, in your 40s and you're going to have maybe 45 years left <laughs> to live on the <laughs> earth, you know, as, as a human. So it's, it's really important to have, to have a broad um, appetite, I would say, for things even outside of hockey. Yeah, no, I know. And that's sort of the idea of the foundation. And uh, actually, what you said there is, uh, you know, I can't wait to go back and actually listen to it and write this stuff down because the way you just articulated that for me was uh, was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, like you, you were extremely fortunate, but I mean, you must have worked your ass off um, to stay you know, in the NHL for that long. Um, you know, you talked about the injuries. Um, you have your hands in quite a few different uh, ventures uh, right now, or you have. I'm not sure exactly what you're working on um, right now, but I know your main focus is Ribeiro, but I know uh, you have the distribution rights for Tacla, or you did. Um, you still uh, with the wholesale sports doing that thing too? Yeah, so I'm the president of Wholesale Sports, and we we own uh, manufacture and distribute our own brands. So we we own the Alkali brand, which is it's the number two roller hockey brand worldwide. Um, AlkaliHockey.com is that address for people who want to check that uh, company out. And then we we bought the uh, First Stars, a formerly a Canadian apparel company, and we use that as our wholesale distribution brand. So we own the First Star brand, and that's FirstStarSports.com. And then um, we are at Tronex is our is sort of our value brand and we operate hockeytron.com, which is our e-commerce platform. And we host some bar products on there, our own products. Um, it's got a really diverse offering. And then we own hockeywest.com, which is the oldest wholesale distribution platform in the U S. So we distribute to about 700 dealers nationwide. Wow. Um, and then we did have the North American distribution rights for Tacla. And then while working at WSI, I ended up buying into the First Star brand, um, you know, ran that for a couple of years and then sold my interest back to Wholesale Sports. And during the time with, of, of uh, operating First Star, we, we acquired the Barbero brand. I then took some of the gains off the table from First Star and, and put that towards, um, you know, purchase of Barbero. So we took Verbero outside even though Hockey West and Hockey Tron still distribute the product. Uh, Verbero.com is a, is a, is a standalone direct consumer company. And we're really focused on, on team, team direct business and, and direct to consumer business. Well, it seems like you have a lot going on. Uh, I didn't, didn't have a chance to look at it all. I know I'm very familiar with Alkali, the, the roller hockey brand, because I used to rip through roller rollerblade wheels and bearings like crazy as a kid. My dad could tell you, um, but uh I played a lot of roller hockey, but the Verbero brand, um, unbelievable. Uh, 
you talked about the injuries that you had. And I, I mean, I haven't had a chance to uh, wear the gear or even see it, but I know that you have a few guys in the NHL that are wearing it or that were wearing it. I'm not sure if they still are, but um, just from looking at it and the reviews, like it's the, you, you guys have the lightest stick on the market, right? Um, and yeah. the, the full Japanese carbon skate, they call it like the Bugatti of hockey. It really is. And it's not, they don't say the Bugatti of hockey because the price, it's not like a, the price between a Bugatti and a Ford. It's just the quality yeah. is the same as a Bugatti, but the price is all this. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Is that really your main focus right now? Yeah. Verbero has become my, my main focus. Um, you know, I really put a lot of all of my own experiences into the brand kind of took the best of the best that the brand had done. And they've done some great things. I mean, this, you know, the, the, the stick is something new to the brand, but this, this skate and some of the changes that I made just to make it more comfortable, make it look better. I mean, it, it, and it really, it really wow. is the Bugatti of skates. I mean, it is absolutely gorgeous to look at. Yeah. Um, performs like crazy. I mean, it is ridiculously comfortable. Um, we feel really proud of that skate. It's it's our flagship product, but the stick is really starting to gain momentum. People are losing their minds because it's it is it is right around three hundred and fifty grams, and um, the performance is unbelievable. It's it's so light and balanced in your hands, you can't even believe it when you pick it up. And uh, and then really we went ahead and, and I can send you a copy of it if you want to see. We we went ahead and created basically we're the only on-demand custom team apparel provider so we work with a private label company uh near us here in, in california and they they do uh everything from quarter zips and hoodies and jackets and sweats and polos and t-shirts and all that and they custom they custom tag everything for our brand and then they do uh they do a team embellishment so embroidery uh silk screening all that stuff and then so we in some instances we might have like 30 colors available for a product for everything from oh, youth wow. through women's and, and into men's so um you know I, i'm intrigued by team issued and i would definitely <laughs> would like to talk to those guys a little bit because we don't have like a lot of the uh you know the hats and stuff that that, that you're that you were showing earlier I, it'd be it'd be neat to figure out if we could find a Absolutely. partnership but we really do offer um just about everything in team like the we brought in our stock our stock glove it's and it's a oh, it's an man. awesome glove and verbero wow. verbero like had that. gloves in the nhl um previously and the glove was good i just think this is a better glove this glove has a lot of protection so we brought it in like this one's you know black white red we've got we've got blue we've got navy Ooh, like uh, white too. red you know so we and then the and so we brought in like Ooh. we brought in like uh, eight or nine different colors that's that'll suit probably 99 percent of all teams um color yeah. color breakdown uh and then we also do full custom gloves we have a, we own a manufacturing facility where we can do full custom so we can put the team name on the cuff uh, team logo on the thumb to complement all of the apparel and, and all the game where we do, we have a factory, uh, as I mentioned, that does all our tackle build jerseys wow. and all the, everything from soup to nuts from game through travel wear, um, all your, you know, before game and after game and during game wear and, and everything in between all the fan garb and everything like that. So we really, we really are uh, trying to be known for the, uh, uh, to, to be a team brand. Well, man, that all looks unbelievable. Um, Murray Pam actually came out with the article on uh, fullpresscoverage.com. Um, Andy Sutton, the expert, kind of a pun on the uh, interview that was, what, over a decade ago now with uh, the reporter. And that's kind of funny. I, I remember when that happened, but I went back and watched it. 
Um, and it's kind of funny. I mean, it got a lot of uh, press waste, but I can appreciate it for the fact that you just got off the ice. Um, I mean, really, it wasn't that dirty of a hit, in my opinion. And this guy's right in your face. And people, I mean, the fans just like that kind of stuff because they see, get to see another side of the player and it's kind of fun or whatever. Um, but I mean, I just think it's funny because you're just being yourself and you're just like, yeah, are you? And I, oh man, I was laughing. I was laughing to myself earlier. Um, but you know, I didn't, uh, it took me actually, I'll be honest. It took me like 24 hours to put that all together. The, the article from the thing I was like, there's gotta be, I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, and I went back. Um, so it was actually, uh, you know, the article is really good. I'll put a, I'll post a link uh, to it guys. Uh, you know, so many guys are really not as, fortunate uh or maybe you know i didn't, don't know if that's the right word or maybe they didn't go in the right directions but you've been able to really or you seems that you've been able to find a, a passion outside of lacing the skates up um and you're still you know directly involved in the game um you know that gave you you know your your life and uh the game yeah. you love obviously and you know that's so awesome um I, you know, I just, you'd be, I don't know if you know uh, how common it is. Uh, you must, I know you, you have even more friends in hockey than I do. Um, but I can't even tell you the amount of messages uh, I've gotten from players either that I played with against or that I've never met, whether, and their family members or somebody that knows, um, never mind just people talking about people that they know, because we all know people that are touched from alcohol and addiction and all this, but I'm talking about just hockey players that played like junior a or higher um that are really struggling to find themselves um you know i got a buddy right now in rehab uh that i played with major junior uh for a little bit and uh you know i've been texting him every day talking to him and stuff just trying to encourage him through it because it's it's bullshit right now with the covid19 like rehab is always hard but now they can't even be in groups and everything and um you know i just that was my big reason for the the foundation and it's going to be a process and like i just want to be able to you know lend a supporting hand to to players that are you know struggling to find you know something that you have and even that I have now even though that's new and you know this isn't so much a business for me but you know I get to connect with people like yourself and and uh, it's fun and I feel like I can wake up and be proud of myself again and and for a, like you mentioned earlier uh, it's very hard to find that when we're done playing or it was for me and uh it's it seems to be the case for a lot of guys um what's next for you I know obviously you're busy uh, with uh, with all the companies and all that, but what's your uh, main focus? Do you guys have like uh, a goal in mind or um, something that you guys are really shooting towards? Yeah, I think honestly, just for me, just spreading the word, letting people know about this great brand, because like I said, it, the, brand, the brand's been around for almost a decade. It's done some great stuff. It's invested a lot of money um, in getting a lot of these products to the point where, you know, we're able to bring them to market. And then we brought in some really incredible complimenting stuff. And so far the uh, feedback's been incredible. I mean, it's been just unbelievable how many people that I've connected to. And it's really, you know, for me, I, I, it's allowed me to really get reconnected in hockey too. So I'm, I'm getting connected every day with, even in some instances, guys I haven't talked to in 30 years, like guys I played, you know, junior hockey with and different stuff. It's been, it's been really incredible. Um, 
So just just keep connecting, keep working to innovate, you know, keep uh, making sure that we're bringing the right stuff to market, make sure we're supporting people and teams to the highest degree possible because we want to obviously be known for service as well and um, and quality and performance. So we're we just keep push, pushing along. I mean, just like everybody else. I mean, I think just wake up tomorrow and try to do better than I, than I can than I did today. And and that's probably all you can really do in the end. Yeah, well, and it's a good way to look at it. And um, I just, I can't reiterate it enough how, you know, how awesome it is that you've been able to, uh, you know, find this, you know, career path, um, you know, and just be involved in hockey. And it seems like, you know, uh, I like that you mentioned that, you know, the service part of it and giving back because um, it's so important. Um yeah, I just, I'm just really blown away. I'm like reading, sometimes I just read here and I'm like reading all this stuff and I'm just like thinking like, wow, you got your hands full, eh? I know you're living in uh, in California, you know, you played down there a little bit. Um, do you miss living in Canada and do, will you ever move back? I'm trying to get back um more often you know so one of the things with verbero is i'm i'm within six to nine months into launching verbero.ca the program that i created travels like i really created tried to create a program that sells direct that i can plug into you know any any country and more than anything i've been so busy i but i want to get home you know i want to come home more often i want i want to see my family in kingston and 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 spend more time and and um you know i've I've got uh i've got a lot of a lot of uh great friends and family there so i'm looking forward to to getting back more often i'd love to get a place on on the lake again uh like i had a long time ago and be able to share that with my family i've got a young i've got a young son he's uh he's only three so we're you know we're uh, i want to show him the life that i that i had growing up i want to i want him to experience those days you know those days by the lake and, and the simplicity of life that i know all us canadians enjoy especially through the summer and sitting around by the fire and you know shooting the breeze and stuff so I'm really excited to spend more time up there and um and this whole verbero uh, expansion is is a big part of that. Yeah, well if you ever uh, come out to Ontario you have to I'm really lucky where I live and living on with uh, my girlfriend's family they own a lot of big piece of property on this uh little lake and there's like 10 other lakes that are like on private road with no cottages on it atvs in the driveway it's just unbelievable it's the life that i've always wanted and um trying to build towards that i'm you know we want to buy a place around here too we're actually in i don't know uh, if you know muskoka at all we're actually in utterson which is between bracebridge and huntsville um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's really nice up here. And I mean, California is beautiful too, but, um, I know you're busy and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, maybe when the NHL starts back up or when you launch the website, uh, if you want to come back on, uh, stay in touch, I will definitely spread the word. Um, because I'm excited, uh, you know, I'd actually really just like to take a shot with one of those sticks. I'm a stick guy. So <laughs> You know, you know those guys, right? The guys that just like obsessed yeah, with their sure. sticks. I carried my stick around before every game. Once it was taped, couldn't let it touch the ground. Like a total OCD like that. Just a bit of a nut bar. But um, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, you know, uh, you know, I don't know you, but like I'm proud of you that you're, you know, able to uh, transition out of hockey because people – um, may not realize, but they're going to realize how hard it is because I'm going to bring it to the forefront because, uh, you know, people may not feel bad that guys got to play hockey for a living. Um, oh, 
poor them. They got to play hockey for a little. You know what? It's not. It is a hard, hard, hard life. Um, you lived it a lot longer than I did. I actually wanted to talk to you about those first years in San Jose because you said you're fighting all those tough guys. And I've talked on my podcast with some guys that fought uh, Terry Ruskowski and uh, James McEwen was a fighter that I played with a uh, bunch of guys, but just the, the fear and anxiety um, before games and all that comes with it, the shit that people don't see um, away from the rink and when the fans aren't there and when the lights go out and all the shit that people don't see, it's, it's really challenging. Um, so good for you, man. Uh, keep on going. Um, you know, if there's anything I can do on my end, I mean, it's just, I don't really, I'm pretty small up here, but I will definitely spread the word. My podcast is picking up some traction. So, um, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. And I'm, uh, really happy to, uh, put you in touch with the guys from team issue for sure. I talk to him every day. He's one of my best friends. So, um, yeah. Likewise, man. I, I, I love what you're doing. I, I think you're on a great path. I think it's important to be open and share and connect. And I think, um, you know, as, as you keep going with this, you're going to connect with more and more people in your network of people that can uphold you and uplift you to, you know, make sure that you're the, the biggest and brightest version of yourself is always the, the, the truth, you know, and I, I think what you're going to experience and what I've experienced through my journey is as you get going with this and you get you get into more and more of your own comfort zone and 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 really really dive into it all the way i think you're you're gonna you're gonna feel a sense a total sense of renewed identity that's going to be awesome for you it's going to be such an incredible thing when you finally realize that you're that you're doing something oh i think we froze there on you so yeah there you're did, back did we froze you, on did, you did, for did, did you lose? Did you lose my? Uh, did you lose my sign off? The whole thing I, was I, it gone or what? Uh, not the whole thing, but uh, the last <laughs> thing. Uh, no, I heard most of it. The last maybe ten seconds uh, were cut off. But um, but Andy no Sutton, problem. thank thank you uh, so so much, man. Uh, let's stay in touch. Uh, like I said, I'll spread the word for sure. Uh, keep keep up the good work, man. And thanks so much for uh, taking the time to you be too, on. You too, buddy. Here, yeah, you too. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. Take good care, man. All right, man. Thanks so much. See you, brother. Bye-bye. Bye. Just want to say thanks again to Annie Sutton. That was awesome. It's really, really nice to uh, see a guy doing so well once he hangs up the skates. I can't uh, say it enough how difficult it's been to have to listen to uh, the amount of guys struggling. I mean, there are guys out there doing a lot of great things too, but uh, I just believe there's too many guys struggling. So if anybody wants to uh, get on board with the Puck Support Foundation, please uh, find me on Facebook or on Twitter. We're going to be holding a Zoom meeting uh, to uh, you know tweak all the fine details in that. And uh, I would love to bring people on board that have experience because I have none, uh, but I have a very strong desire and passion for this. Um, I feel very strongly about it and I know the people already on board with me, Jesse Paradise, Michael Hengen, my father, Theron Fleury, um, I know uh, Jesse's girlfriend, uh, Melissa, as well as Taylor, my girlfriend, uh, though they weren't hockey players, um, you know, they're with hockey players and they understand uh, the consequences that can come. I know Taylor deals with me on a daily basis, uh, the irrationality is just uh, up and down and I believe that's from post-concussion syndrome. Um, something that I'm gonna have to look into more um, but you know 
uh, something that I just really want to bring light to and uh, I believe it's a very very good cause so I'm looking forward to doing that uh, thanks again to Andy Sutton guys I, I just wanted to add something at the end of this podcast uh, I am writing a book uh, that was the original idea that's where hockey to heroin came from um, I added the road to recovery actually on the spot during my very first episode um, because I just felt that there was no positivity just to hockey to heroin um, and the road to recovery just seemed fitting at that point and I believe that it was uh, a very good choice it actually in that moment made me start to think that you know what I what am I gonna do uh, for my recovery because I need to do something uh, and I believe I still need to do more so uh, like I said I started writing a book uh, actually the very first time uh, that I was incarcerated back in British Columbia uh, I started writing a book and I still have those writings not with me in Muskoka but they are still around and I hope I can find them uh, but I really really started to write um, when I found myself behind bars in Ontario uh, number of reasons in BC uh, you actually have TVs in your cell uh, that are on you have access to 24 hours a day with like 50 channels um, and in Ontario here there was no TVs in our cell, no nothing like that. So uh, I read a lot more books and I had, a, I had a lot more time to write, which was actually great. Um, so anyways, I was actually in there two different times in Ontario. Um, uh, so I was actually in there and then I was released on bail. Um, and I left behind uh, all my writings and stuff because I was going to court that day and I got released from the court and I left... Uh, my writings with my cell, my cell partner at the time, and I told him if I get released on bail, because uh, it wasn't a for sure thing, uh, can you please make sure that these get to me because I'm going to be coming back to get my stuff. So I actually made the trip up to the jail the very next day to get my things, uh, and mostly it was to get uh, these the writing. Um, I didn't really have anything of value. Uh, it was the t- fact that I spent hours and hours and had hundreds of pages of writing that I was very proud of. And so when I got there, uh, they had told me that it wasn't there. I looked at my stuff and it wasn't there. I said, well, where's the stuff from uh, the range, which is where the living area where I was incarcerated or whatever. And they're like, well, we don't get stuff. I'm like, well, can you please just call the unit and ask the staff to uh, go to my cell? I was just got out yesterday. Uh, I know it's there. And he's like, we don't do this. And oh man, I was so upset, so mad. I thought I was going to get thrown back in jail right then and there. But... Um, I was able to walk away Um, anyways fast forward a couple months was on bail and I breached my conditions so I got picked up uh, and put back in jail Um, so anyways um, you know I started uh, humming and hawing that I lost this writing and it wasn't there and um, I you know was reluctant to start writing in there again because I thought I was gonna lose it all and how was I gonna get it if I get it out again Um, But I picked up the pencil because I like to write in pencil and actually you're not allowed pens in there Um, But I picked up the pencil. I started writing again. I started writing a lot Um, Not as much as I would have liked to but I started writing a lot Anyways, I had mentioned to a couple of the guards what had happened. So now I'd been in there for four months again I believe or maybe even longer five months because I was in there for like seven or eight months that time and uh, Maybe it was like five or six month mark even Um, a guard walks in and I can see he's got like papers and stuff in his hand um, and I can tell it's my notebook from the prior so like from like six months ago um, that I thought was lost 
and he came to me. He's like, this should be your focus now, and he gave it back to me. It was a really, really, uh, you know, I was, a sh it was, I was in shock. I was like, wow. I was like, you know what, thank you so much. I explained to him the story that I'd come back up here uh, to get it. They told me they weren't going to get it. I thought it was lost, and here it came and it reappeared six months later, so it's great. So um, I thought um, that I would just quickly read um, just something from August 15th, 2019, uh, when I was behind bars. Now, I haven't read this since I've been in jail. I'm just picking one, uh, one little entry that I wrote. So we'll see where my head was at. I promise to God, I have not reread this uh, prior to doing this. I just picked it up because uh, when I opened it, you could see, if you're watching on video, uh, it says Decayo sign. So where, August 15, 2019, I was really searching for myself in there, guys. And um, I picked up a Bible for the first time and I started doing Bible studies. I actually did them all and I actually got a custom Bible. I'll show it. And uh, I was doing a lot of Bible studies, going to church and... Uh, trying to you know build my faith and uh, sitting here right now it's something that you know I think I should get back to maybe I'll go to church when uh, COVID opens up I know everybody it's not for everybody I'm not gonna sit here and preach it um, I just believe that it's uh, it's something that's a positive outlet um, of the majority of people trying to do good and uh, I just you know while I was in there I just was trying to learn and do better and I uh, just didn't want to go back there so let's go August 15 2019 a Block, Unit 1, CNCC, which stands for Central North Correctional Center, Penetang. In quotations, it says, Dekaiosine. Dekaiosine means righteousness. And now sits atop the list beside persistence as my favorite words. My emotions are pretty good. My body is sore, but I feel alive. The soreness is from a couple of back-to-back -back workouts. That should have happened a month ago. Better a late start than a not start at all. I'm a long ways off from my playing days, and the reality of turning 32 next week is starting to take flight in my brain. Life is a constant, adventurous journey. The peaks and valleys in my life have taken me on some wild rides in my first 32 years. It may sound crazy to most people, but I, have fin I finally have no doubts that I am actually exactly where I am supposed to be. I'm absolutely not in the place anybody wants to be, and certainly I don't want to be here either, but I am exactly where I need to be. Where God knew I'd finally turn my life over to Him and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I used to laugh at people who believed the stories in the Bible. Now I'm a follower of Christ, learning how to spread the gospel. I have finally put a couple of good workouts in back to back. Wow, I'm such a long ways from where I used to ooh, used to be. How could I become so lazy and turned off from physical activity when it dominated the first 25 years of my life? There's no question that my mind, body, and soul feel better. In fact, a million times better when I'm sweating and working my body into pain. Man, do I ever feel the pain. A couple days of workouts in comparison to what I used to do, it's laughable. Uh, they wouldn't even be a su sufficient warm-up, let alone bring soreness in the following days. I mean, I'm proud of myself for getting off my ass, though, and it's made, even more, it's made it even more clear just how much of a toll my life on drugs have taken on me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Never say never, but I'm done with that chapter in my life. 
I'm so fortunate and grateful that I'm still alive to have another chance. I've said how something's different this time. Something tells me that this is my last chance and that something, sorry, and that something is the Heavenly Father just got out of bed reading the holes in our gospel. I'll pause for a second, which was a great book that I was reading. Um, basically just saying how there's holes in our gospel because people that are, um, you know, spreading the, the gospel, which is the good news of Christ and, uh, you know, um, love thy neighbor and all the Ten Commandments, all those things. Um, um, basically, this guy wrote a book, basically the holes in our gospel. Yes, everyone's going to church, but what are we doing to better the world? Like, there's people starving and not having clean water and all these things. It's such a phenomenal book. I suggest anybody reads it and get a chance, even if you're not um, a Christian or any of that. It's just such a positive and powerful book. Um, yeah, so... Just got out of bed, reading the holes in our gospel. Just had a realization. Lefty meets lefty. Changed my life. It was God answering my prayers. It took me over a month to realize it. I'll explain tomorrow. August 17th, 2019. Sorry, uh, I forgot to break in there, actually. Um, there was uh, a break that said August 16th so now this is into uh, day three uh, so now I, I, had a, I have a journal and then I also have a, like where I was writing the book and this is just a journal entry so um, August 17th through 2019 last night was a trip as I was reading the holes in our gospel the author Richard Stearns wrote about an experience he had with a widow and her three kids high up and secluded in the Himalayan mountains he went on to tell how she's a woman of faith and that essentially he had answered her prayers by being there. It really woke me up to how God works and how he uses people in amazing ways. Rewind almost two months ago. There I was in medical se segregation because I was withdrawing from the mass amounts of fentanyl I had been using prior to being arrested. If I wasn't so fortunate to see Dr. Cooper while in handcuffs en route out of Aurelia straight to the big house, it would have been even worse. The fact that it happened to be a Wednesday was a huge break for me, being the one week, one day of the week that Dr. Coop is actually in town. I was super grateful that the detective in Aurelia took a special trip to get me uh, restarted on the methadone program. My buddy Avery caught the same lucky break two weeks ago. I had missed six days in a row getting my drink after three, they cut you off and start you back on 20 milligrams. The almost two years prior, I was on 100 milligrams straight, including the two months I was off here. February to April 2019, the amount of fentanyl I was doing in a day was enough to kill 10 plus people. On top of 100 mils of methadone and crystal meth, I was drowning in poison. Upon arrival, I knew I was going sh to shake it rough. So I decided to go to SAG all on my own. All that fentanyl and the decrease in methadone was not something I wanted anyone else to have to deal with on the range. The puking and shitting myself was not anything to subdue someone else to. As, a, as I lay tossing and turning, crawling back and forth to my bunk from the toilet, 
I was praying constantly. Like many, I called to the Lord in desperation for the millionth time. Please, God, help me through this. Give me the strength to get through this and guide me. I need your help, please. Give me wisdom to do the right thing. I want my kids back in my life. Brooklyn, Brody, and to meet. I'm going to leave the name blank because I don't want to use the kid's name, but the kid that I've never met. When I'm feeling the physical and emotional pain of opiate withdrawal and the rush of guilt and shame for everything I've destroyed and lost, the people I have hurt and disappointed hits me like a freight train. So many times I've gone through this nightmare of detox and every time I say, this is the last time. I didn't realize it at the time, but as I prayed in the agony of detox, God heard me and sent who I call an angel to save me. After six days of withdrawal, full of the puking, shitting, pain, and my least favorite of them all, no sleep, and brackets, no sleep till Brooklyn, Beastie Boys. I told the guards I wanted to go back to my regular unit, unit one, and so I dragged my ass off my bunk, still feeling awful, but compelled to get back to range. Prior to bail, I was on 1A, and once again, they put me back on the same wing. All part of God's plan. I just didn't know it. Walking on to a range can be overwhelming depending on the time of day and who you are. The door opens and everyone's eyes instantly turn to the new fish, or Jimmy, as they call you in BC. There were at least 10 people still in the range from my previous visit, and a couple of them are, are actually my good buds. And so aside from still feeling the wrath of opiate detox, I was actually happy to see some of the guys I call friends. Even though they were disappointed, I had no package or PK, which in all fairness, I really should have, which is, uh, you know, bringing stuff in like tobacco and pot into jail. Um, uh, That's a story for another day. In the past 10 years, I have managed to string together 11 months of clean time on two different occasions, neither of which were behind bars. The last time I ended up in the late summer of 2013, during my sobriety, I was, on an, I was an active member of both AA and NA. I had multiple home groups and took part in uh, multiple acts of service work, making the coffee before meetings, greetings, greeting others as they arrived, and also chairing some of the meetings. I even opened, opened a birthday meeting for a lady named Charlene. She was celebrating another year of sobriety and asked me if I would open the meeting. Her and I had become quite close and I was so honored to do it. On New Year's Eve, I even brought in the New Year's at a massive Narcotics Anonymous dance in New Westminster, British Columbia down at the New Westminster Quay. There were a lot of people there, probably three to 500, three to 500. I went with a fellow hockey player from my hometown who had I who had I become very close to and become uh, active going to multiple meetings with every week and he had been spending a lot of time with me and my kids Brooklyn and Brody Mike Reddington is his name he had won a memorial club memorial cup with the Spokane Chiefs just four years previous and now graduated from the WHL to the real world and he was uh, he was fighting his own battle against alcohol During that time, I was working the program. I had a sponsor and 
said all the right things when asked to share at the meetings. I started doing the steps and thought I had found God. I prayed every night and was enjoying the present and enjoying the process. But most of all, I was staying clean and building fantastic relationships with my kids, Brooklyn and Brody. I was even working full time, making $34 an hour doing demolition for Pacific Blasting. On the outside, everything looked like I had turned my life around, and at the time, I thought I was doing everything right. To this day, I never—I still have not completed a set of steps, and that's still true. I haven't even finished to step four, and until two months ago, I had never had a solid relationship with God. For almost 32 years, I've ran on 100% self-will. I've been trying to make sense of everything those past these past couple of days. I might not ever completely figure it out or have the answers in all their transparency, but this time is different. I've truly been I've truly been born again. I am so thankful God sent another lefty, the angel who led me to the Bible. So I'll quickly say my nickname in jail was Lefty because uh, I knocked a couple people out with lefts. Um, and really, uh, my dad's friend, my actually one of my best friends growing up, Tyson, his dad, Rod Hughes, uh, used to say, hey, lefty, you know why I call you lefty, right? I'd say, why, Rod? He'd say, because you can, can't do anything right. So after a while, it was a joke. You know why I call you lefty? I'd be like, why, Rod? And he'd be like, because you can't do anything right. Um, anyways, I don't talk to the Hughes anymore. That's a story for another day, but I sure do miss them, and uh, hopefully uh, one day I can... Uh, patch things up with them um, but anyways um, this other guy I met in jail he came and he was only there for a couple days at the time I could swear he was an angel and he said my name is Lefty too and I had never met another Lefty uh, he handed me the Bible and we started just talking about life um, not so much just about the Bible um, but he was really the one that turned me um, you know in the direction of you know stop being the mentality of being the jail guy and, worrying about the politics of jail and let's focus on you know getting yourself better so I appreciate that um, you know and I, I recognize it here so I just wanted to share a brief little part of that I'll share the rest of that on another time uh, I would love to hear what people think of that if you guys enjoyed listening to that I'll, I'll read some more another time um, possibly maybe on like a different outlet or something um, but you know um, a couple different ideas for the book um, journal style because I have so many journal entries but then I also have uh, entries of stories and stuff too so um, guys uh, I just want to say thank you so much for the support uh, continues to pour in thank you for listening to the podcast please wherever you're listening subscribe if you like it share it with your friends and family if you didn't like it then don't share it I don't want to be shared if you didn't like it um, but you know here in a week's time next weekend um, Matt Thompson's coming up I'm sitting in the Matthew Lashinsky studio right now. We're going to frame it up. He sent me the list um, of materials. I have some money put aside for it. Um, if anybody else would like to donate, uh, we would really appreciate it. But we are going to do it on ourselves, like on our own. Um, but uh, any donations, we sure would really, really, really appreciate. Um, but uh, he sent me the list. The material is going to be about 1200 bucks to get it all framed up. Um, so... 
Uh, I'm gonna order that at the end of this week. Um, really look, or sorry, at the uh, middle of next week before he comes here. Sorry, because right now is a Friday. Um, but guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, if there's any uh, comments or questions, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, please visit my website, hockeytoheroin.com. Um, you know, listen, check out the Hockey Podcast Network and all their great podcasts, guys. And of course, Team Issued. .ca promo code TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchases. Um, I love this navy blue hat. I'm putting in another order today. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk soon.